Scene for the week. We're wrapping up spooky season with the spookiest event of all. Uh, Adam Myros hosting. Uh, yeah, you, you're stuck with me. Steve is off visiting some hundred year old relative. So uh, here we are. We are wrapping up Sean's Halloween extravaganza, of course. And uh, I suppose that would indicate that Sean Glennis is, is joining us. How are you doing this evening, Sean? You know, I'm doing well. I was watching. Uh a uh, heated match between the New York Knickerbockers and the Orlando Magic, uh, which I had to uh, stop watching to to do this. Um, so we'll find out. <laughs> That's tragic. I, I assume you were watching to to honor Larry Cohen. Uh, you you got to watch uh, New York basketball. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, also joining us, regular contributor. One Jack Eason. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I am also here. I was not watching sports prior to this. I feel like Larry Cohen would be like a baseball guy or something. I don't know. He just seems like more cantankerous people. I'm based on an absolutely nothing, though. Well, uh, that may, in fact, be accurate. But, you know, you you got to take what you can get. It's, it's not baseball season, unless you're talking World Series, which, on uh, you know, no new, no New York representation this year. No, Chicago is not talking about that either. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's pretty normal. I mean, Larry, if he were inclined to watch baseball games, he, he had plenty of shots uh, at the World Series with the Yankees. But uh, not this year, not this year. Also joining us, we've got a guest. Uh, I always love to subject guests to my inadequate hosting, but uh, we have Eric Marsh. You may recognize him from the Gauntlet podcast. He's also a, a filmmaker. A critic, you know, he, he writes stuff. He, he He's everywhere. Eric, uh, I'm not going to ask why you're joining us, but uh, thanks for joining us nonetheless. And uh, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about uh, the Larry legend uh, I know and love. See, see, uh, Sean might be more familiar with another Larry legend, but th- this is the only one that matters. Uh yeah, we are discussing Larry Cohen, the erstwhile king of, of New York, uh, grindhouse legend. It's it's about time Sean dipped in on Larry. We had previously discussed Bone a, a long while back. I, I believe it was the same episode we discussed Candyman. I, th- I think we had those both rolling on the same episode. But uh, yeah, yeah, we have. So that's kind of why it wasn't part of this slate, because otherwise I would have forced it in, because... Uh, it's one of my favorite Grindhouse films. It's it's fantastic stuff, but uh, yeah, I think I think that that Bone Candyman episode was where at a group like four white guys we solved racism. Yeah, it's a huge yeah. event. I I think that is even the title of the podcast: Optimism Vaccine <laughs> Solves Racism. Yeah, I haven't heard much from racism since. Mm-hmm. We did it. Well, you know, when you put your heads together, anything can be solved. Uh, what we are discussing. Are some of the things that maybe lean a little more horror uh, to some extent, I guess. We're on the fence with some of these, but uh, that's all right. We're starting yeah, firmly in horror, though. Uh, probably his maybe best-known film, certainly kind of his breakout film. Uh, it's Alive. Very influential stuff. 
Uh, some of us more fond than others, I suppose. But uh, I love this film. 1974's It's Alive. It's a film about a killer infant. Uh, Jack, I'm going to start with you, because I know Sean's a little less taken with this one, which surprised me, because I, I think this is a pretty remarkable film. But uh, let, let's let's hear what you had to say on It's Alive. Sure, yeah. No, I think I think this is great. Um, feels very much like a Larry Cohen movie right out the gate. He he direct he he directed it and wrote it. You know, yeah. he wrote it. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you know, a man who forged his, his work in TV for several years prior to this. This wasn't his first film. He was, this was like his fifth, maybe. But he was working real fast and cheap at this point. But um, yeah, it, it's just uh, it's got all those things. Basically, it's got like a not very uh, pin uppy male lead thrown in like an incredible performance in a movie that you would think generally wouldn't necessitate this kind of acting gravitas uh kind of like domestic uh it's oddly it's not new york based so i guess we, we got that little change things and uh yeah it's a, it's just a really great slow burn horror about being terrified of your own child although that's necessitated by the fact that the child is actually extremely dangerous and then just kind of like throws out various little tidbits of social dangers and concerns that maybe maybe contributed to the child but we'll never know like contraceptives and medicines and prescription pills and pollution and so on um but yeah i've i'd actually never watched this one before this was a first time watch for the for the for the podcast and i was i was missing out it's it's a really great piece of work um not and again mostly based on the on the actors the the special effects are by of course the great rick baker but they are used sparingly so you only see a little glimpse of the demon baby but i'm i'm with you on this adam this this is a good one yeah it surprises me this is your first time into this one because this is a a very important grindhouse film like you know considering you're a big hen and Lauder guy i think it's alive was sort of like the jumping off point that that inspired stuff like basket case it was a huge midnight movie uh I, I yeah i i can see maybe why some people might be averse to it going in because it, it really is despite its sort of lurid marketing it's a domestic drama almost you know this is in much the same way as something like eraser head certainly not the level of surrealism it's, it's a movie about the anxiety of parenthood more than anything else and uh it uh, john p ryan is just fucking incredible in this movie yeah it's funny you, you brought up Eraserhead because that definitely popped in my head um <clears throat> definitely uh shares some dna with it but yeah much different uh much different thing uh, and you said that i was uh, less taken with it i mean maybe in comparison to, to jack but um uh if i compared everything uh i liked and didn't like to jack where would i be myros um <laughs> yeah, yeah Ireland? uh no i i the my problem with this was so i watched a, a bunch of uh cohen flicks for this uh i mean obviously watch like the three that we're gonna be talking about but i started on like a very particular note and i mean i had seen like one of his lesser known films like last year but um i started on one very particular note that i was uh taken with and um uh, it kind of set me up for um, a certain tone or uh, a certain just like uh, gratification that I didn't get out of the others. But I mean, that's that says more about the first movie I watched, which was the stuff than than anything else. Ah, yeah, it's certainly not the most typical Cohen film. The stuff it's it's kind of a 
little outside of where he usually is working, especially in this era, which is very procedural driven. Uh, although this film is not entirely, I, I would say this, this veers outside of the procedural in a way that probably our other two films are, are far more indicative of that. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's hear what our guest has to say. Yeah, I I love this film, and uh, I'm gonna admit how much of a nerd I am because I I like first heard of this film reading uh, Robin Wood's uh, Hollywood from Vietnam to Reagan, where he has this whole thing like talking about you know uh, the American nightmare horror in the '70s and all this stuff, uh, and that's when I like really got into Cohen many years ago, uh, and so this was one of the first Larry Cohen films I'd seen outside of the black exploitation stuff, uh, and it is you know revisiting it for this was was interesting it, as you guys are saying like it's such a melodrama in in ways that none of the other Cohen films really are. Uh, and I think, again, it speaks to like what Jack brought up, his TV background, this kind of like guy who's dipped his hands in, you know, every genre at, at some point. Um, and it's fascinating, yeah, to see it, it in that mode. And I do think like it's indicative of one thing that you see in all his movies is like really committed performances where there's like no business being really good, really good committed performances. Uh, and John Ryan and Sharon Farrell are like amazing to me in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the dichotomy that exists in this movie. Like the, how important the lead up is to the actual event. Like there is such a switch flipped in John Ryan's performance between pre and post birth. And, and, it's it's not an easy thing to pull off as an actor, I imagine. But man, it, there's this sort of domestic bliss about this movie that actually feels quite authentic. That <laughs> immediately turns on its head. Uh, it, it is. I, I the first 15 minutes or so of this movie are like pitch fucking perfect for me. I I remain in love with this movie. I, I think it is. Mm, I don't know if I, again, I, I, I love bone enough that I probably would not call this my favorite Cohen, but it is very, very high on the list. I think it's a very remarkable piece of work. Yeah. It's interesting in this, um, like the, the LA versus the New York Cohen of this year. Cause, cause it's too like bone and, uh, it's alive open with these kind of like almost blissful depictions of America, successful America, you know, uh, home, nice, lavish homes, you know, that, you know, single family home families kind of like professional life all the mod cons and sheen and and consumer ideals of living in the united states which new his new york films have never really embraced that i can think of off the top of my head they've all been like sweaty and crowded and chancers and last you know ditch efforts to to stay above water so it's kind of interesting he, he kind of allows that in la I, I don't know if that was something that he just saw to la but then it's uh obviously in in all those films in bone and and it's alive you know like you say adam immediately gets turned on its head turns into something sour and in it's alive i mean it's very much there's kind of like inferences towards things that might have caused this mutant baby um you know they they prescription drugs pretty the pharmaceutical companies are like a large one they harp on but there's almost a sense in it and it's a, you know as uh, eric says like the the idea of framing like ron wood in the the kind of post-vietnam kind of horror era it 
it, it's almost like this curdled world like like it's alive it's kind of like bringing in uh, just a reality an american reality that's souring and putrefying somehow and people aren't quite aware of it until it kind of passes into their own homes and in this case in the most incredibly invasive way your your very child your progeny the next generation is not uh, there's a curious note struck because it, it, the child seems to have some affinity for their parents it's the child seems to react to the fear of itself violently but if you embrace it potentially it's not dangerous so there's a strange element that it's kind of like something has changed profoundly in america and americans are not ready for it and there's this ambivalence and this danger and this kind of like every every scene in it's alive is kind of like a negotiation of people becoming vulnerable enough to disarm the situation and many of them will not do that i mean this movie is full of police officers just shooting everything <laughs> and uh, a lot of police officers dying as well it's kind of a very militant vision almost of america that that escalates really quickly yeah i i, th I think um it, what's really admirable about uh this the franchise, uh, this IP, um, is, uh, which I, I got through all three of these, um, <laughs> the Larry Cohen IP, <laughs> but you didn't watch the remake, I assume. Who did the remake? Oh, it's, it's a real cheapy. I, I don't even remember. I, there was no director of note okay. attached to it to my mind, but yeah. it was a, it was a Bijou Phillips vehicle. I've never seen. I know Larry Cohen hated us and said to avoid it. So that's. <laughs> uh, well, I'm a huge uh, Bijou buff, so I am surprised I haven't picked up on that. But uh, anyway, uh, I, what what Jack was talking about, um, all of these like subtextual elements um, running through this very like high concept. Uh, it's great how it develops over the three films. Um, especially in the third one which has like michael moriarty uh cohen favorite um as like this father who is you know going through this trial and trying to trust his, himself and and his child his it's a live baby uh to embrace him back and uh, respond to sort of like this this uh more uh love and connection and trust and whatever um so it it does have a lot to do with like this perception um like uh i think this is kind of what you're getting at jack like this um this change in perception that needed to happen within the american family um but he's very attuned which is what i picked up on in the stuff first uh and, and really loved was the way he's attuned to um american families and um this like post fordist uh time and like post-war mass consumerism stuff um but also in tune with like how uh it, it's how our like society is being like um created around that and how much the uh like governmental agencies or federal agencies have to do with uh you know pushing that along on that note, John, I think the the political aspect of Cohen to me is one of the most fun and kind of like the, the best aspect of his work because, you know, he is a true sort of genre filmmaker where he's never really going to be like overly didactic, you know, maybe in like Return to Salem's Lot, you could call it that. But um, 
it's really like his his starting point for building his worlds is like our own. And therefore, you know, he's got this like New York cynicism uh, and a guy who's been around like the film industry his whole life. Like he just takes it at fa- like at fact that everyone is corrupt, especially the government, especially police. Uh, and that's those are just like default assumptions in in his worlds. Uh, and so just to see it all, you know, it's like he really is the great like. Uh, it's all falling apart in the 70s auteur, right? Because, like, that's just what he's showing. Like, Yeah, yeah, there, there's sort of like a, um, especially in something like it, It's Alive series, like, it's taken for granted. Like, that, like, it, it doesn't need recognition. It's just like, yeah, that's that's what these agencies do. Um, and, and in the stuff, I think, could be, like, Someone could argue, I guess, that it's more about like, hey, look, look what these companies are getting away with. But but the tone is just so rich and like perfectly struck that it's like there's a comedic genre element to it that is like much more uh, interesting and also interesting to Cohen, uh, clearly, that it's not about like an expose. You know, it's like using these these elements. Yeah, there's an individual folks. Like, like I, as you mentioned, it's alive. It's just, it really zeroes in. John P. Ryan as the father really becomes the central focus of the film. Um, and you, know, it's very much a family affected by something they certainly didn't instigate, but they're they're unsure how to how to navigate it. Whereas you know, in stuff like the stuff, it's more of a macro view of kind of corporate machinations and and buying bribery and and wholesale theft and so on and we have the pharmaceutical company and it's alive and they're represented by kind of a doctor who is uh you know kind of like concerned about what this will do to sales and how they need to kind of get rid of the kid and just kind of keep the whole thing hush hush because they and it's an interesting thing because it's like they don't know that they're because the the wife was on uh contraceptives for several years as part of her family planning and then they decide they would have another baby so there's like seven or eight years or something where she's you know on these drugs and they don't know that that has anything whatsoever to do with with this baby but they are unwilling to take the potential pr hit and there's an interesting thing about this in pr because the john p ryan's character works in public relations and suddenly he's thrown out of his own industry of which he's apparently very successful because you know he's now bad publicity himself no one wants to be associated with him so yeah there's a strange kind of like all the structures getting shaken here and just the and i think it's something that happens a lot in cohen's films uh like eric says you know there's kind of like this vision that they're all in decay and they're they're fundamentally corrupt and whatever i mean all of his films certainly like the police police are in all of cohen's films are a huge number of them and a huge number of his films deal you know firsthand with police procedural elements this is stuff that he worked in heavily in television and yet his vision of the police repeatedly is basically a bunch of guys with hammers looking for nails like they have there's no nuance or tact to what they're doing they are just pretty much just out there to shoot whatever is the problem and then get back to coffee or whatever uh it's yeah it's it's a strange kind of a, a working it's i i do wonder how he maintained relations in this and it's 
interesting. Also, he started working with, you know, one of his big TV writing credits uh, is Columbo, which is like the the friendliest policeman in the world in one sense, the most likable one for TV. Um, the, the only one that people, you know, I feel like if you were to ask online, it was Columbo a cop. You know, people are like, no, Columbo's not really a cop. Leave him be. Yeah, in It's Alive, the, the presence of police is noteworthy because... Uh, for a man as interested in procedural writing a as he is, there is really no sort of detective work in this film. The, the police are represented solely by uh, men behind guns, essentially. You know, that's that that is what this film is. <laughs> it's kind of a, got a a bizarre rhythm between the household melodrama and and just these stylized. Uh, set pieces of police like storming into various <laughs> absurd locations such as you know elementary schools playgrounds etc and of course the problem is is that and uh, the, the nuance that underlies it is the fact that the child is clearly dangerous and clearly a threat mm -hmm. and yet is also something else has an intelligence they're not quite certain of has affinities they're not quite certain of so there's there's this tension of you know wh where does it fit into the world and it's it's dangerous but maybe it's you know maybe something we can work with and this is something the sequels deal with as well but you know they're not quite sure and a good chunk of the cast are like we don't want to find out we're just you know we can just shoot every one of these we never have to think about anything and that would be ideal <laughs> worth remarking on that even though this is on paper you know you read a synopsis of this you you assume this is like a very goofy trashy larry cohen movie and it really <laughs> it might be his classiest film it, with the it's got like bernard herman one of his last scores and it's just fantastic and it's actually beautifully shot too like the way he uses like this interplay of light and darkness in, in the tunnels and the finale and all this everything is washed in like the red the police siren and man there's some gorgeous shots in this fucking movie it feels a lot more polished like larry cohen is i think cohen is a great filmmaker but one of the things that really distinguishes him is the fact that he is utterly pragmatic and his films often are not like beautifully constructed a lot of them are very clearly produced under you know, time and cost constraints. Um, yeah, this one feels, um, yeah, a, a little bit more polished and, and nice than, than some of his other films, which very have like, some of have like kind of odd, messy editing that I'm pretty sure it's just like, we, we had got what we got, especially since he's a man who enjoys shooting without permits. So, you know, that's kind of what happens sometimes. Um, so it is, it's a really nice looking film in a way that some of his other films are not necessarily not nice looking, but I guess has, it has a rhythm to it of a much more kind of like, it feels like a film that actually had backing rather than like kind of like knock out under someone's you know someone else's watch which is ironic considering actually this film apparently came out while there was like a changing of the guard at warner's and it pretty much got buried on its initial release because the new executives didn't care so ultimately even when larry was like making this nice tech quote-unquote nice looking film still didn't really work out for him well it did eventually, eventually. There, was a, there was a second release that that actually made good money and kind of let him keep working as a director and there we move on to uh was this the follow-up must have been dang close uh god told me to which is uh a movie that has been reclaimed in recent years i would say it wasn't even one that was ever on my radar when i was initially doing kind of a cohen catch-up like it, it had not 
I feel like a decade ago, I'm, I'm old, let's say 15 years ago, this wasn't one of the Larry Cohen movies that was like in the zeitgeist at all. But uh, yeah. lately, it's been critically reappraised and it is really and now risen to being one of his most prominent films and most celebrated films, uh, which, yeah, well deserved. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're going <laughs> to we'll put it right back into obscurity, probably, you know. Uh, Sean, I, I think you were pretty high on this one. Uh, I'll let you jump in on God Told Me To. From Yeah, it was indeed the direct follow-up to It's Alive in 1976. God Told Me To. Uh, it, it was... Uh, I, I think this is the one that I'm going to be most like excited to return to uh of the slate that we we did the the main three slate uh because there's there feels there's something about it feels a bit elusive maybe it's just like it, it's so dark compared to i mean it's alive is dark but like in a way that um plays more with horror tropes uh you know god told me to on its face is like very dark uh to me and um and it goes in places that you don't really expect that go like far outside of the synopsis of you know this this um uh strange happening uh of people sniping civilians in new york city streets uh and then saying their motive was that god told me to um but uh yeah i don't know it, it, it's it's a, a beautiful movie lino Braca is that is that the guy's name yeah lino Braca is the filipino director <laughs> you're 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 geographically in in a whole other place uh tony lobianco tony lobianco um way off yeah just a, a a really good performance i don't know um i'm excited to hear you guys talk about it but um this was definitely uh uh a great discovery for sure for sure i you know i'm this is a first time viewing for me i i probably not the person to go to first year so I, i'm gonna kick over to the guest uh what do you think of this one eric what do what do, what do you make of god told me to larry cohen's foray into body horror sort of <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and ancient aliens as well, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I adore yeah. this film. This 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 is one of my favorite Cohen films, and I think because like Sean mentioned, it kind of you know more than any of his films has an elusive sort of quality to it because I think at the end of the day you're yeah you're sort of talking about gods and aliens and I'm I'm just a mere mortal I have no fucking idea what they're talking about at the end of this movie. Um, but I love it. And I think like, that's beautiful. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I think th- the one guy is asking the other guy to fuck him in the chest so he can give birth to his yeah. alien baby. That's true. That <laughs> is true. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, I don't know, you know, and it's, it's a film that obviously gets better with age because as the 21st century sort of gets, I think more like unstable, uh, we look back to a, to a vision like this, that's just full of that, like mass hysteria, random shooters. Like, I mean, how can anyone who's alive now not like look at this movie and think like, Larry Cohen is a fortune teller, you know? <laughs> there is something kind of eerily prescient about it. I mean, it, it opens literally with a with a sniper up on a like up on a, a water tower just shooting random people in New York City. And the whole thing, yeah, has this kind of feeling of just a 
a, again, a world kind of intention collapsing. It seems to predict everything about just all the stuff in the 90s. We all lost our shit over and we're like, this is new. And it's like, it looks like it isn't. This movie seems like it's got all the same stuff. So that's, that's kind of weird. Um, yeah. It, and this is, it's interesting. Uh, I think this might have been one of the first Cohen films I saw. And I think I was on the upswing of its reclamation um, because I think it came with like Blue Underground, maybe released it on DVD. And they just, they released it. And I know Will Lustig of Blue Underground was like worked with Larry Cohen with Maniac Cop and a couple of other films and was friends with him. And so it made sense to release through that. And they kind of like released it as like, it's a weird movie. It's so weird. You wouldn't believe. And I mean, as much I'm like, God, I hate that stuff. When people say that movies are weird, I was like, well, I have to see this weird movie, don't I? And it turns out it's actually pretty weird. So, you know, not, not so bad. But yeah, this, this was just like what is this film what like what would i even compare this to it it's like i mean in the joking way it's like martin scorsese made mean streets and larry cohen made god told me to it's processing catholic guilt kind of i don't think cohen's even catholic i'm sure he couldn't be uh, this is just such a bizarre kind of a prospect of a film it opens with all these scenes of murder uh, a religious overture it's kind of like simultaneously a, 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 a kind of a, an interrogation of a, of a devout Catholic's kind of fear that his whole world might not quite be coming together correctly and at the same time it's utterly sacrilegious. I mean, this is blasphemous film essentially because gods are aliens or maybe they aren't. Maybe there's an actual god up there too. We'll never know. Um, just a, a really peculiar film. Um that just from a genre standpoint, it, this doesn't fit. I mean, we stuck it. It's a horror movie, right? It is. It's a police procedural. It's science fiction. It's body horror. It's an awful lot of things all kind of uneasing, like uneasily balanced together. And it's kind of a wonder that the thing holds shape at all. It's, it's such a peculiar film and it's really held together. I think chiefly cause, um, some, it's difficult to communicate about Cohen. We talked about his, his TV work and I feel like his work he brings to movies the same kind of sensibilities i kind of associate with like 50s and 60s american serialized television which is this just really like i, I don't know how you even describe it, kind of like this arch pragmatic kind of like every line of dialogue hits with you know it, it's there for a reason it's kind of delivered in this kind of um kind of heightened register where everyone is you know performing their job whether it's like this is housewife this is policeman this is you know generic italian person you know um larry cohen's movies have that kind of sensibility to them all the time and on god told me to is really like if it's capturing kind of the mixing pot of new york it's very much in the you know kind of all these different people are talking to each other there's like italian americans irish americans black americans all these people kind of appear and move in and out of the movie um, and just kind of all perform their parts in this really weird way. Like Eric, you mentioned earlier that fantastic line about uh, the St. Patrick's Day parade and, and the discussion of like, you know, no, the Irish have been waiting for this all year and we're not going to let them down. And it's like, what is happening? But it's it's in the register of Cohen's films, like in dialogue, it all, it all fits together. There's this kind of heightened reality to the whole thing that really works. It's very difficult to explain, but if you watch a lot of Cohen's films, it's just 
something that kind of comes together. He's these really strong performances, very good actors kind of giving these really concentrate performances. It's kind of a magic trick. It's very strange, but very enjoyable. And God Told Me To is really enjoyable, but also utterly unpredictable. It's I've seen this movie before and I'm watching it going like, I don't remember what the hell happens next. I don't know what could, like, even the parts I remember, I doubt sometimes. It's like, did that actually happen in the film? I don't know about that. Yeah. You're like uh, Francois Truffaut watching Citizen Kane for the 40th time. That's well, I'm like Francois Truffaut in, in many ways. I think, you know, in a lot of ways. I was going to ask you, Eric, if uh, if you think that um, Phone Booth started as a uh, God Told Me To sequel. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, Phone Booth was a, a script that Cohen had tried to sell to Hitchcock, maybe for like Hitchcock Presents, I think. Because, um, again, he, you know, Cohen would have scripts, you know, on the back burner for 20 years and, like, get them made later because uh, he was such a prolific writer. And I think it's worth comparing him to not just Hitchcock, but like Sam Fuller in that sense, where Larry Cohen is a guy who is writing like a feature film a week. Like every, like every week of his life, uh, whether they got made or not. And he really was like, again, coming up in that TV system, this like just incredible, not just writer, but who could pump them out like like amazingly. Um, and he had the recall. He's like, OK, I have this phone booth film and I need to have it made like now or else it's like done. It's unusable. What speaks better than the decay of American cinema that that a script that he was originally going to pitch to lowly television Hitchcock would go on to become a hit in in the early aughts? You know, that's that's the deflation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And I do think like uh, it's worth, again, like teasing out the, the Hitchcock thing, because, you know, Bernard Herrmann's score for It's Alive. I think one of the reasons like that movie feels really like more graceful, too, than his other films is the Herman score. And God told me to has a really fantastic like knockoff Herman score um, by Frank Cordell. And and I think it's like pretty cool in the sense that, you know, Cohen is is very much trying to work in the tradition of of Hitchcock. You know, he's not different from like De Palma or Carpenter in that regard, being like, okay, you know, I'm going to do my own thing, but kind of like in this mode. Uh, And of course he has like, yeah, like a literal connection back to uh, that era. And even in God Told Me To, as in a a lot of other Cohen films, he throws in an old Hollywood star. Uh, That was also like a financial strategy of his was to cast like really old Hollywood actors uh, who did, who like couldn't afford, you know, to ask for a lot of money, like Sylvia Sidney, who has like an amazing, uh, turn in God told me to as the uh, mother who was <laughs> abducted by aliens and is uh, maybe, you know, the mother of the detective. Um, and I yeah, I just love that he's like pulling from this treasure trove of like classic Hollywood in his, you know, totally gonzo films. Yeah, what a what a bizarre movie this is. <laughs> That whole that whole detective is an alien thing really it just jumps right out of nowhere like the last fifteen minutes of the movie. When he's going to that nursing home, I'm like, oh that must be the woman they were discussing earlier who was abducted by aliens and impregnated. It's like, 
no, it's the second one, and this one's his mother, and he's also an alien. I'm like, oh, oh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Sylvia Sidney plays one of two virgin mothers in this in this film. <laughs> Just stack them up. There's other great stuff in this too, like uh, like the other alien, the the bad alien is played by richard lynch who is yeah. one of those just fantastically peculiar actors who just is just creepy in anything you put him in i'm sure you i bet he was like a really nice guy they always are in real life but like richard lynch lynch plays sleaze like no one else and it is just plays such an odd like he's just bathed in yellow light the whole film barefoot walking around new york uh, so you know he's up to no good uh, it's it there's the weird hippie panic element uh, to the whole thing but then yeah it, it's god there's just so much going on here it, it really is uh such a rich film to come back into i feel like you could go in so many directions from this i i don't even know i mean i i almost feel like they should just get a, an audio commentary with like a couple of a couple of open-minded priests to just talk this one out and find out what happens because there's enough ambiguity and strangeness in here i bet they could parse some kind of a spiritual reading Sure, sure. I I can't, but uh, I'm sure left to the proper devices, uh, the priests, the scholars could pull something out of this. Uh, oh, I was going to mention as well for for casting. We also have Andy Kaufman as the murderous <laughs> policeman at the parade, and I think his first film role, which is which is a normal casting thing. He doesn't do anything unusual, but you just see Andy Kaufman, and you're like, well, it feels like there's got to be something else going on there. There isn't really, but I don't know. It just his his legacy pervades his his appearance and things now. Did wonders for VHS sales, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've discussed Richard Lynch like in an inordinate amount of times this year for some reason. He's in everything. He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rob, uh, he's in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He's in Invasion USA. There was something else too. Oh, the Cyborg Three, the Recycler. Yeah, he's just. <laughs> it's been an OV favorite for the last. That he was also. Didn't we discuss uh, what Savage Dawn is that the biker movie? He's also in that as the sleazy priest. Uh, that's another one of our favorites. That's a great movie. I just want to highlight one scene that I totally didn't remember that shocked me this time when uh, when the detective. Uh, gets attacked on the stairs psycho style uh it really comes out of nowhere and i think that's like i don't know a really like peak cohen moment for me where the camera basically feels like it's like falling down the stairs uh with the detective as this like mad woman is trying to stab him over and over again and i was like holy fuck like how do i not remember this happening in this movie but it's one of those kinds of movies yeah that stood out to me as well because this movie is it's got like one foot in the gorilla cohen camp and one foot in this like prowess like that shot is remarkable but then, but then you just have stuff you're where you're like i bet he didn't have a permit for this at all it's just like him standing outside with a camera and a bunch of people running by going ah. yeah i'm pretty sure he didn't have permits for the saint patrick's day parade shoot he just shot that on the fly which is gonna be risky considering there's a guy in a police uniform pulling a gun i don't know where he did that that seems like it would be a bad idea to do now but you know it, it worked out okay um like a lot of cohen films of this era and uh this we discuss with them uh q certainly as well is this like it's like a snapshot of new york i feel like historians could just pull this up for like a vision of like what x 
intersection looked like in 1976 in in New York. It just he shoots in unusual parts of the city and he really like just soaks in the ambience in the background. You know, he he really lets the the energy of the city work on camera like do the work for him uh, and he does that as we've mentioned a lot by just by literally just setting the camera up and just running it i know in one of his films um is it blind alley like or perfect strangers it goes under different uh different titles there's one incredible scene in that where a guy kidnaps a child from its mother and he runs away with the child and is then confronted by the mother and there's this crowd thronging in among them as they try and shout out this argument that's part of the film but didn't tell anyone those people literally thought they were witnessing a kidnapping and uh you know the the argument subsequent argument and no one got in like no one lost their life that's you know kind of a crazy thing to do but that energy is in a lot of his films that just kind of like you know we'll do it live <laughs> larry cohen films are just done live in a lot of ways that are are unusual and expected or unexpected uh which is a real a real treasure i think it really gives them something that uh you lose on the back lots i wonder if this was maybe a rejection from his tv days of like tv is so stilted back lots uh, a lot of cheap kind of you know you see the same things over and over again and he was like no you know we don't need to do that i just wonder if maybe there was some element of that to it that he was like if we can bring it out onto the streets, we should do it. It, it merits it. I, I always wonder about the logistics of guerrilla filmmaking because it's one thing to be a, an experienced uh, practitioner of this like Larry Cohen and, and get away with filming a parade. But, I mean, you're, you're exhibiting the evidence of, of your uh, crime. Well, wouldn't a powerful municipality like New York, uh, upon seeing... Uh, released film be like hey hey hey, hey. uh we're gonna cite you after the fact i was gonna say i guess like the the world just uh, is a little more litigious now than it used to be i mean like I, if i if i recall correctly there's multiple people in the cohen documentary who are basically like you couldn't do anything he did after 9-11 and it's like yeah absolutely like shooting in an airport like shooting in the street shooting blanks in the street like are you kidding You'd be labeled a terrorist if you did that. Uh, you you just passed up like a perfect 9-11 segue, but... Um, yeah. Well, as we've learned this week, it might not be the best idea to go around shooting blanks willy-nilly. <laughs> also true. <laughs> of a shot in Q, the uh, whinged serpent, uh, where we have a POV of... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, my mind's just not loaded up with those, Sean. Not one of these sickos. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, to be fair, there was the tower sniper uh, in Texas, right. so he could have just been basing it on that. America has ample examples of people just murdering everyone in public. So it's kind of a, yeah, I bet Larry saw targets. Uh, he got the yeah. DC sniper, and uh, he got 9/11 a few years later. <laughs> it's a proud tradition he just piggybacked on it but it really captured it's just that like later on we forgot how proud a tradition it was and now going back it's kind of like oh yeah well, this has been going on for much longer like Columbine didn't invent shit <laughs> so that's marvelous uh, speaking of proud traditions before we move on to Q I, I did want Jack to weigh in on, on the validity of this uh, outrage regarding the cancellation of a St. Patrick's Day parade like 
Like, how would you respond for Chicago to cancel theirs? Well, you see, that's a, that's a great question because the Irish American is a separate species uh, to myself. I I am like Irish slash American through several layers of paperwork. The Irish American is is a foreign unknown mind to me. I I couldn't comment possibly on what they value. Uh, I do know though on St. Patrick's Day I try not to go outside. So there you go. <laughs> uh, that's generally good practice. Uh... All right, let's go to Q. I, I, this is a little bit more divorced from the other material in that there was a, a bit of a gap where he went off and did his, his bizarre J. Edgar Hoover thing, and then it's a live sequel. And Full Moon High, a movie I have seen on, on cable television but didn't even realize was a Larry Cohen movie, but uh, there you go. Uh, then he got kind of back to the, the grimy meat of uh, New York City with Q, the Winged Serpent. Uh, in 1982. Now, I, I, I admittedly am not going to have a ton to say about this. This is, is far from my favorite Larry Cohen movie. It's, it's not the mode I particularly enjoy him in, but, uh, well, that's why we have you guys. Um, I'm going to go right to Eric on this one. You know, it occurred to me this time watching it that, you know, like we were sort of talking about earlier, this kind of like post-Nixon still kind of vibe going on. It really struck me, of course, Michael Moriarty in this film as, you know, he's this like small time criminal uh, who gets caught up in this, you know, winged serpent fiasco. Uh, and basically, like he, he tries to bribe the city of New York um because, you know, he accuses them all of being corrupt and, and again, is just sort of like, where's, you know, when am I going to get my cut? Um, and I was just thinking, yeah, like he's the perfect embodiment of, again, this sort of like really cynical uh, era. And and I, I appreciate this film from Moriarty and Cohen. Uh, you know, this is what this is where it all started. Their their beautiful cinematic love affair uh, and it's just truly a bizarre performance. I mean, what can you say? It is. It's it's an amazing. Yeah. The first time I saw this, I really was. It's Moriarty just blows me away. Every, when I watch this thing, he's incredible. He's he's like channel like Richard Vidmark and Night in the City. He's just like this, you know, just like twitchy, anxious loser with a chip on his shoulder for, you know, for, for some valid reasons, for some less than valid reasons. And he just basically sees this opportunity. It almost kind of reminds me in like of Ace in the Hole as well. Like he just sees this opportunity to get rich. And like Ace in the Hole, it assumes an absolute moral bankruptcy <laughs> on the part large swathes of humanity. And he just sees this opportunity that, yes, there's a giant creature preying on New Yorkers, snatching them up and eating them. And he knows where it lives. And he's not going to tell anyone until New York City gives him a million dollars. It's incredible. <laughs> and and it's, it's just... Again, this movie is like it's it's a monster movie, and it's but it's again a huge police procedural element. Uh, you've got David Carradine and Richard Roundtree, and also Malachi McCourt as commissioner, who's uh, Angela's Ashes is Frank McCourt's younger brother, uh, which is a weird tie-in relationship. And um, like you, you have it's a large chunk of this given to the police because there is also a subsequent human investigation about like an Aztec cult. I think you're getting into the heart of why I might not love this movie. <laughs> 
how would you not love this, Adam? This is this is a I, classic. Name one more movie that has this shit. I, like, come on. And you didn't even mention you didn't even mention the opening, which is like, uh, which you know we we can hear from Eric about this as heist master general, but uh, it opens on a like a surprise heist. I was like, what better in a movie? than a heist where the heist is not like an actual part of the plot line. It's just like, it's so great. Yeah. And it's again, like the low budget aesthetic where they go to rob this jewelry store, but the camera's just outside. You hear yeah. gunshots and then Moriarty's <laughs> out of there. Yeah. On paper, like this sounds like uh, my favorite movie or something. It's like an American a Larry Cohen Rodan movie or something with fucking Richard Roundtree and David Carradine. It's like, hell yes. But I just, uh, you know, I almost wish it didn't have David Carradine and Richard Roundtree because it feels like it's obliged to star these people when really Moriarty is the star of the movie. And it, I don't know. It, it, it just, it, there is so much going on in this that it is too much. It detracts from what is a super compelling plot with Michael Moriarty's character. And every time they cut to the police procedure at the fucking Aztec sacrifice, and I'm like, who gives a tin fuck about any of this? And yeah, it, it also, it's, it's definitely the most gorilla of these three films. Like this movie, it's like Larry Cohen must have got a helicopter for an hour and was like I'll be goddamn I'm going to use all of this footage it's just edited in constantly over and over again uh and it's just it's a strange it's a strange beast that that is for certain but I I don't know I can't ever bring myself to love this movie because it's just it's so a strange serpent yeah well uh, if it were a serpent that that's the other thing is they keep because they insist on on bringing the the whole Quetzalcoatl uh cult element into it they're just going on and on about a feathered serpent and you're like well there's there, this is not the special effect you have gentlemen well you talk about like him like reusing this footage of the like uh stuff up in the sky but i was really taken with like um the way he edits between like the way he just like uh uses that footage with like shots from up there of like uh people running around the city and um, it, it made me like it, it made me think about an exercise in undergrad uh, film class where we had to like edit a sequence and we did like th uh, this like sequence from Notorious where we had to like go through every single shot. And I was like, somebody could do that with one of these sequences in queue where there's just like so many cuts, but they're all like conveying like a very particular like spatial and time relationship. Um, I don't know. I, th I thought it was compelling. Yes, I agree with with the uh, some of the like baggy narrative stuff. But um, you also have, I mean, the M Moriarty just like playing the piano, like oh, kind of like scatting for like five minutes. Yeah, if this was just Moriarty's movie and it was all framed from his perspective, I think I would be uh, big time in love with it. But as it stands, it's it's always a movie I'm kind of like half in on. It's, it's again, I mean, it's interesting because it's got, it devotes an enormous amount of time to the police, and yet the police are not depicted in any kind of a kind light in this movie. They're again, 
kind of, like Carradine's kind of putting stuff together. In fact, he's actually doing a really good job of investigating this cult aspect and tying it in. But at the end of the day, they're pretty much just the machine gun brigade and they rough people up and they show up places to shoot things and that's about all they're good for. And then they ask the mayor for money. That's that's the New York Police Department and people are just continue dying. And obviously Moriarty is not helping, but he's the, the odd twitchy loser. So he's not you don't quite back him, but you certainly he's the only one you get any kind of a sense of a real kind of psychology to it and it really it can't be overstated how good he is in this i think like i i was thinking like i don't know if anyone has ever given a better performance in a creature movie or in a monster movie than this like even takashi shimura in the original godzilla doesn't have maybe doesn't have the the facilities in that movie but like he's just moriarty is the centerpiece of this film his human character is the centerpiece there is a giant winged monster yes but it really comes down to moriarty kind of dominating all of his scenes and nailing this character it's a kind of an insane thing it's it's almost a bit like the naked gun or airplane with you know the way they get all these like really solid stock dramatic actors kind of like parlaying ridiculousness into legitimacy just kind of like you know lending their their gravitas to like make it work and that was you know really funny here it's sort of like moriarty is stabilizing a very odd film with a very human performance and i guess um you could say the same about the, the lead in in it's alive it's sort of like a real stabilizing central influence um and honestly is worth the price alone just to see moriarty's character i think that's it's just a really incredible performance have you guys heard the story about how larry cohen had to apologize to the city of new york for causing a mass panic during the filming of this movie <laughs> that doesn't surprise me but no i had not heard that yeah they on um, they were on top of the chrysler building as they often are in this film and they were firing you know fake machine guns and uh, a bunch of the shells didn't hit anyone but they were hitting like scaffolding on the building and people heard the firing and it caused a mass panic and Cohen at that moment was told his cameraman like film the people running away like film the people running and so like he's using his own his own mass panic uh for reasons people don't even understand they're like you know fleeing because they're hearing you know guns being shot and he's filming them uh, all at the same time. Like that's the, the like the god instinct of a filmmaker is that like you have to film the panic now. You can apologize and deal with the aftermath yeah. later, but like you have to get it on film first. Uh, there's some really fun. Like one thing I always say about this: however good Moriarty is in this movie, I think Richard Roundtree is the opposite. And I almost like I kind of feel like he's really he's not good at this movie, and he looks like he doesn't want to be there. But I also kind of towards the end of the movie was getting into how how chewed out and just kind of like fuck this he seemed to feel in every single scene until he eventually gets eaten alive as happens you know sometimes um yeah it, it's just i don't know this film is fun to be again the new york images i mean i don't know how they got into the chrysler building for this this is a surprising level of uh professionalism frankly um and i feel like that's it, it's kind of funny because <laughs> the the stop motion effects used in within this sparingly are they're they're fun but they're not real like they're they're very like the 
cartoony people that the monster gets are very clear like little clay figurines it it doesn't it's not convincing in the slightest which you know your mileage may vary on that depending i think if you are a you know a fan of harryhausen or whatever that will really work but it's it's a very different the 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 animated and the live action segments in this do not interact the way they would in a Harry House movie. So it's a very different relationship when things go cartoonish. Um, but I'm guessing that's where a lot of the budget went. And then Cohen just shot the rest, apparently by just freaking out New Yorkers. But he somehow got into the Chrysler building and apparently got right up into the top, like the 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 cone of the, the Chrysler building where the nest is. Apparently they managed to film up in there, which is, again, I guess all we could say is after 9-11, that probably never would have happened. So kind of a strange thing well he did have a helicopter maybe he just like flew it very close to the chrysler building and and had some <laughs> some groove god if they remade this now it'd just be a bunch of shitty drone footage everywhere just that ultra smooth boring kind of play out it would look look lame but then again i guess apparently that it's a live remake has you shouldn't remake Larry Cohen movies. Actually, Nicholas Winding Raffin's doing that maniac cop thing. That's uh, I was not sure yeah. about that. I mean, what's the point? What New York is not interesting anymore. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is a very different New York that that uh, Larry Cohen is is eulogizing effectively or chronicling. I suppose it was still thriving when he was making his films, but uh, yeah, I could not imagine a a cue the winged serpent with the I love New York logo at the end of it or whatever you know film New York commission logo. Different the freedom eras. towers or whatever. I don't. Know. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. Cue the Winged Serpent. It's a a messy movie, but it's worth watching because Michael Moriarty's great. And uh, also great in the film that we're... uh, Just missed the cut, uh, the stuff. I think his performance as Mo is is quite fantastic in in that film as well. So, uh, yeah, this was obviously a very fruitful partnership. Um, Yeah, I... Seek out most of these movies. Larry Cohen's a fond director to, uh, you know, spend a lazy Sunday afternoon crying it through some of his films. He's like like 90% of his movies are 90 minutes or less. Like he's one of those guys. So there's, and it's just like, it's like a punch. It's just every one of his movies just has a thing it's going to do. And it just charges through in 90 minutes or less. Absolutely. Ah, uh, well. We're pushing an hour. Might as well wrap things up and get to the the putovers here, gentlemen. Uh, I, I, you know, I was going to skip the segment, but Steve texted me and he said, hey, you fuck. Uh, you got to do putovers. So um, I'm going to put over. I got to get mine out of the way because, again, I don't watch things. I actually picked up a, a game called Inscription, which is a little indie uh pc game that is it's like a a card thing that normally not anything i'd have any interest in but uh i don't know i'd seen a few things about it it looked compelling it's just kind of one of these games that's meant to to fuck with you and uh push the boundaries of of what a game can be and uh yeah i'm having a blast with it i gotta say the the card mechanics are, are quite compelling even for someone who would not play a, a Magic the Gathering game if you put a gun to their head, but uh, it, it's still, it's fun stuff. Uh, I I am compelled by the gameplay and uh, the mystery, and it's a, it's a good time. 
and a, a good indie developer you should support and and it's not especially expensive uh inscription find it on steam uh sean what are you putting over uh almost everything i've watched since last we spoke has been for this uh cohen cast um but i will uh put over a great podcast that uh, i've been really into that people should really check out called wiseman podcast um it's uh just i mean top-notch stuff the guests have like just charisma coming out of their ears uh the, the guests are good guests uh you know it's hard for the guests to really stand up to how good the hosts are but um but uh yeah wiseman podcast you should you should check it out uh what's that podcast about like christ or something you know i i'm not sure i i you should probably explain that to potential listeners <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> Uh, it's a podcast about Frederick Wiseman, documentarian, uh, a, a legend, uh, and one of the finest filmmakers of our lifetime. So basically Christ. <laughs> yeah, basically. I heard the episode on Juvenile uh, Court is very good. I haven't gotten there. Uh, the message boards say they're kind of let down by the guest, but, uh... Damn it. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Uh, it's a toxic subreddit. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Eric, uh, what are you putting over? That's a great question. <laughs> um, uh, I was, you know, recently I was watching a lot of movies by Edgar G. Ulmer. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, I've had a really good month watching a lot of Larry Cohen and Edgar G. Ulmer, the, you know, sort of like B-movie masters. Uh, so... Everyone should watch, you know, every film that Ulmer made, but especially uh, some of his later weirder stuff like Beyond the Time Barrier from 1960, which he made using like uh, a fairgrounds in Texas and turned it into the future uh, and made a film for like two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's pretty great. That sounds amazing. So it's called Place Beyond the Pines. Is that right? Yeah, place beyond the pine barrier. Yeah, you're right. Something's... <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I really like when they have the, the ball with the motorcycle in it. It's exciting. Um, Eric, uh, before I get into my closing spiel here, is there anything uh, you want to plug? Yeah, you can uh, find me at uh, The Gauntlet. You can follow us on Twitter at Gauntlet Movies. We do a weekly double feature and uh, talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. There you go. Uh, It's a good listen. Uh, Speaking of good listens, if you enjoy this listen, you should should check the description. We got a link to iTunes. You can go over there. Give us one of those five-star ratings. You know, uh, uh, write a couple words. I don't care what sort of words you write, you know, uh, you could trash us all you want, but uh, the the star number really helps with the, the visibility of, of such things. It, it, it's all a mess over there with Apple, but, uh, you know, you be helping us out. Uh, we also have a Patreon, uh, helps us pay for hosting, uh, necessary equipment upgrades, and not much else. So, you know, it's not like we're making any money off this thing, but if you like to help us stay afloat and uh, keep producing more content for you uh check out our patreon that'll also be linked in the description 
You just search Optimism Vaccine. I'm sure you'll find it. We have a lot of bonus content over there. I'm going to try and convince Sean to do a Rob Zombie Halloween episode. Will it be up in time for Halloween? Absolutely not. But uh, we might get one out there for you. Um, beyond that, I think that's uh, really all we need, you know. We've, we've covered so many horror masters this month. Uh, I think we've shilled enough. Uh, we should just wrap things up. Gentlemen, thank you for your time this week. Uh, I could do this whole last word thing, but who, who likes that anyway? Yeah.